is going to change everything. <laughs> Sorry. Everyone here can hear me. Can you guys hear me now? Oh, look, I'm getting thumbs up. I'm so sorry. What I was saying was um, nothing important, really. Don't worry. Uh, what I was doing was the little back story for where we've been in Revelation. So sorry about that. You can all hear me now. Somebody nod. Costa's in, in uh, you can hear me wave. Okay, great. Um, so we've seen the uh, six of the seven trumpets. This is an interlude where he's filling in the blanks, basically. The two prophets, Moses and Elijah, most scholars think, have preached and they have been killed by the Antichrist, who we'll be introduced to in chapter 13. And meanwhile, uh, let's see, they have been resurrected and ascended to heaven in verse uh, 12, 11 and 12. Uh, and then we're going to pick up in verse 14 in a second. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. That's verse 13. That's where we were last week. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Do you see that in verse 13? Uh, pretty amazing. Every time you see, and they gave glory to God in the Bible, what it has meant up to this point, and probably does here as well, is it's a legitimate conversion that they believe these people because of the uh, things that they've seen. So anyway, sorry about the no sound thing. I was working earlier. I don't know what happened. But anyway, sorry about that. Um, so let's dive in. We're in Revelation chapter 11. We're going to pick it up in verse um, 14. So I know that you people in this room are awake. Say amen. amen. Good one. And so that I know you guys are on Zoom, are awake, wave or say amen. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. I see those amen signs. Thank you, Glenn. That's a big one. Okay, here we go. Revelation 11, chapter uh, 11, yeah, verse 14. The second woe is past. The third woe is coming soon. The last three trumpets each have a woe connected with them. Woe means not good, very bad. Okay, so... Here comes the seventh trumpet. You're going to notice that you're expecting something colossal to happen, and it doesn't. There's just praise and worship for God because the seventh trumpet is the seven bowls. But this is something that happens in Revelation a lot. I, I try to say this a lot so that you'll remember this. It's not strictly chronological, like telling a story, and then the next day this happened, and then the next week this, and the next month, and then this, and then the end, like a normal story. If you've watched movies or TV shows, you know there's such a thing as a flashback. We're about to have one in chapter 12 that goes all the way back and all the way forward. Kind of interesting. But there's also things that look forward and uh react to things as though they are a done deal, which they are, but they haven't fully happened yet. That's what we're about to read. Hopefully that'll get rid of some of the confusion. The second woe is past, the third woe is coming soon. Verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, if you're new to Revelation, you might read that and say, oh, it's over. This is probably the second coming, but it's not. But it, it's, it has been stated, if you notice, in the past tense. 
in the Greek. All of the prophecies, or most of them, about Jesus in the Old Testament, did you ever notice, are in the past tense, as if it's already a done deal, even though it hadn't happened yet. The same is true for this. So there's the seventh angel finally sounding his trumpet, and there's loud voices in heaven, and they are united, and it might be angels, and it might be the... 12, the 24 elders as well, believers who have been already died and they're in their spirit, spirit bodies there in heaven. This is what they say. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. That's the first thing. Okay, the weird thing about that is it's kingdom singular. You would think kingdoms, you know, there's the Chinese kingdom and the American kingdom and the, the kingdom that this does not imply a one world government yet. That's happening in chapter 13. Well, then what is he saying? Chapter 12 will explain that there's always been only one kingdom on earth. Satan, small g, is the god of this world. It's his kingdom. And so that's what he's talking about here. The kingdom of the world doesn't mean a one world government yet. He means Satan, who has had the kingdom of the world going, has now become the kingdom of our Lord, which is God the Father, and of his Messiah, that's Jesus, obviously, and he, referring to the last noun, which is Messiah, he will reign, Jesus will reign forever and ever. If you read ahead, chapter 20, he reigns for a thousand years on the earth. But that's only the beginning. If you read 21 and 22, it's forever and ever. Remember, Revelation is God tying up every loose end, punishing all sin, rewarding faith, reinstating his, his Messiah, God, his son, Jesus Christ, as the rightful ruler of the whole planet. In the meantime, this is being announced as if it's a done deal. And it is because the seventh trumpet has sounded, but all the stuff that still needs to happen, if you notice, Revelation's 22 chapters, and where in what chapter? 11. The, it's really kind of the halfway point, end of the first three and a half years. But with that seventh trumpet, it's a done deal once that happens, that the kingdom, the whole world has become the kingdom of our Lord God and of his Messiah, and he's going to reign forever. Response in heaven, verse 16. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. We said last time the 24 elders, a lot of theories, most people believe that they are representative, they're human beings, they're glorified in heaven, they're representative of, 24 is a nice number, right? 12 and 12. 12 tribes representing saved Jews, 12 apostles representing saved Christians who have already passed on. They wouldn't be people that are still alive on the earth. Uh, but they're representative of both the church and all saved Jews. They fall on their faces and worship God, saying, verse 17, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Again, not chronological, because if you start reading the next chapter and the chapter after, you go, I thought you said he had reign he's reigning now. It's already a done deal because of that seventh trumpet, but there's still some things that need to happen. There's rejoicing in heaven. The best analogy I can give you is if you, if um, Chris here is running for governor of California and we're all part of his campaign and we've been out there campaigning, knocking on doors, signs, ads on TV and what have you, and now it's election night 
and we're all meeting here for our candidate and the returns have come in and he won. There'd be great celebration, but he won't take office for a couple months. So why are you celebrating? Because it's a done deal. Same kind of thing. Back to the text. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, good. Not as loud as the last time. Okay. Um, so there's praise there because of that. You've taken your great power and you've begun to reign. Verse 18, the nations, oh, let's get the reaction of the unsaved people on planet earth. Are they rejoicing too? The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Ouch. So the reaction is completely different on planet earth. The nations were angry. You ever meet people that are angry at God? Sometimes they, my spouse died, my child died, my parents died young, I've, I've had a horrible life, I'm shaking my fist at God. Believe me, there's never room for that. God is never one to be angry at, but the nations are angry <clears throat> at God. They're angry at the gospel, they're angry at Jesus, they're angry at the Bible. Um, the nations represent the unsaved who were under the control of, in a sense, the other God, small g, Satan. Your wrath has come. It's deserved. They were angry at him. The wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead. This happens in chronology in chapter 20, okay, where the unsaved, the dead doesn't mean everybody. It means the unsaved dead. Those who are saved are not judged according to sin, but the unsaved are judged, listen to this, and if this doesn't make you shudder, nothing will. They're judged according to everything they ever said or did or thought that was a sin, that was out of God's will. Ultimately, though, they are judged in a way for only one thing. What did you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he's my Lord. That's different. Well, I sort of read the Bible, but I, you know, I didn't want anybody... Uh, cramp in my style. I prayed occasionally, but I didn't want this man to rule over us. Remember that in the Gospels? We will not have this man to rule over us. So it's time to judge the dead. <clears throat> God is an absolutely fair judge. He cannot wink at sin. And so when all is said and done, every single sin that was ever committed, believers and unbelievers, is judged. Either the sinner bears the sin, unbelievers, or the believer's sins are all taken care of on the cross where Christ took the punishment you and I deserved. But every sin gets judged. There are no exceptions to those two. It's one of those two. Um, rewarding is the next thing. Judging sin, bad news for unbelievers. Rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name. That's you. That's me. This is all looking forward. It's called proleptic. It's a fancy word. Looking forward to when it actually happens, but they're already rejoicing in the campaign headquarters because the seventh trumpet has sounded. It's a done deal now. And notice that people who revere his name and the prophets are rewarded together. It may be that the prophets receive a better reward than the average Christians like you and me 
but I have a feeling it might surprise us. That there might be some prophets who are rewarded, but there might be some little old ladies, Christian church ladies who you don't even know who they are, but they're prayer warriors and they love the Lord. Who knows? God knows. And notice it's both great and small. God's no respecter of persons. He's going to reward everyone that believes. Um, but it's also time for the uncomfortable thing at the end of verse 18. Do you see it? For destroying those, that's people, who destroy the earth. This is not an ecological green statement. They, he means that they've destroyed the earth because of their rebellion and sin against God, their hatred of Jesus, their hatred of Christians and everybody else. Remember, this sounds so black and white, and it is. There's only two categories. Those that are in the kingdom of Satan, unbelievers. Those that are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, believers. That's the only, there's no third category. Those on the fence, no. That is a decision, right? But the wrong one. Okay. So it's time to judge the dead, reward believers uh, and people who revere his name, his character, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Wow. Okay, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, an earthquake, sorry, and a severe hailstorm. This chapter, if you remember, began with the apostate temple on planet Earth. He's measuring the temple. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember in Revelation 11, early on, he says, exclude, verse 2, the outer court. Don't measure it. It's been given to the Gentiles. They're going to trample Jerusalem. And then there's the witnesses that come. The chapter ends with the real temple. And what's, what's happening here is uh, something that you see in the Old Testament and the New. And that is that when God tells the Jews to build the temple or to build the Ark of the Covenant, he, we learn in Hebrews, I'll take you there in a second, that all that stuff is a copy of the real genuine article that is, exists in heaven. The one we're seeing in verse 19 is God's temple where? In heaven. Has there always been a temple in heaven? Yes. And when God told him to build it on earth, it was a copy. That temple in heaven was opened. And I don't know if unbelievers can see it. I kind of don't think so, but I think the believers can see it. Within his temple, there's the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what that is? It's a little box, not very big, about this big. Not, I used to think it was like a coffin size, you know, a big coffin. It's pretty small. Um, I can't remember, four and a half feet by one and a half, two feet, something like that, by one and a half, something like that. Um, and all overlaid with gold. <clears throat> it was so holy they weren't supposed to touch it because the seat at the top was the mercy seat where the presence of God dwelt. And they were um, it was in the, it was inside the Holy of Holies in the temple. Only the high priest could go in there and only once a year to sprinkle blood on that seat as an atonement for the people of God. So there's in heaven, the real temple, the real Ark of the Covenant. Um, let's see, do we want to go there? No, not yet. Um, and there's all those 
phenomena going on, lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquakes, severe hailstorm. It's like God punctuates his judgments and his glory with these earthly phenomena. Okay, I want to show you a couple things. So we're going to take a detour to Hebrews. So keep your finger in Revelation. There it is. I'm going to keep my little bookmark there. Go to Hebrews. I'd say it's eight or nine books to the left, not very far. Hebrews 9 and then Hebrews 10, if I'm not mistaken. Hebrews 9, a few books to the left. If you can't find it, that's fine. Somebody told me about their friend who's watching, um, and she doesn't know the books of the Bible, and we take detours. She gets nervous. You can just listen if you want. It's fine. Hebrews 9, 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, earthly sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Um, for Look at verse 24. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He's there in heaven to be our advocate, our defender, if you will. We'll talk about that a lot in chapter 12. Okay, now go over one chapter to chapter 10 of Hebrews and look at verse 20. Uh, let's see. Well, let's, let's go to verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, stop right there. In a Jewish context, there was the temple and Jews could worship here, let's say. But there was that little room back there, the size of a small bedroom, separated from all of us Jews by a curtain. Remember? In there was the presence of God, that Ark of the Covenant we spoke of. It was so holy, nobody got to go there except the high priest and only once a year. It was so scary for the rest of the Jews that when the high priest went in there, they would tie bells to his garment, listen, and a chain or rope to his body, his legs. You say, why? Big, long chain, because he's going in there. But God is so holy, if he's going in there and he's got unconfessed sin, or he's a hypocrite, or a liar, or a fake, God might strike him dead. So the bells are on his uniform so that we'll hear ding ling ding ling he's still in there he's still alive if we hear thud and no more ding-a-ling he might have been struck dead in there if he was i'm not going in there are you going in there so they would have the chain or the rope so they could pull him out of there it's so scary to be in the presence of god we know we're sinners hence the big thick curtain that separates people from god why? Because of sin. When Jesus dies on the cross, he gives an unbelievable object lesson. Do you remember what it is? Besides the earthquake, besides the supernatural darkness on earth, remember? When he dies, there's an earthquake, and that curtain is torn from the top to the bottom, indicating there's now access for people to God, but we're still sinners. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus, now there's full access to God. Pretty amazing thing. Go back to Revelation 11 with me. Uh, oh, wait, did we read Hebrews uh, 10? No. Um, 
That's the holy place, 1019. Therefore, brothers, we have confidence. Remember the fear I just talked about? Now we have confidence to enter the most holy place by our good deeds, by how holy and spiritual we forget it. One thing gets you in there and me in there, the blood of Jesus Christ. Whenever you read the blood, remember, it doesn't mean the blood. It means his death. He could have just bled. They could have cut him and they could have put a Band-Aid on it. Is that the blood of Christ? No. Blood means sacrifice, dies in place of someone else. By a new, verse 20, and living way, open for us through the what? Curtain I just mentioned. That is his body. He's saying that curtain was like his body torn for us. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 21, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, heart sprinkled, etc. Okay, there's a heavenly copy of all this stuff. That's the point. Go back to verse 19 of chapter 11 of Revelation. The heavenly temple is open. There's the Ark of the Covenant. John's seeing this as an Orthodox Jew, and he's blown away by this. And the special effects come in, the flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, earthquake, severe hailstorm. It's all coming down. The seventh trumpet has been blown. Now, if you're watching a movie, I said sometimes there's flashbacks, sometimes flash forwards, what's going to happen toward the end. That's what we just had, a flash forward. Now, in a way, the chronology is paused. Do you ever pause a movie? I got to go get a snack. Pause the movie, honey. Pause the movie. Now, the movie's paused. Chronology, we're stuck where we were. Chapter 12 is a little sidebar. God is going to give us a panoramic view of all of human history, listen, not from a human standpoint, but God's going to show us, you know human history? Yeah. I'm going to show you what was really going on in heaven behind the scenes that was a reflection of or might have even caused what we saw on planet Earth. The seven bold judgments, as I told you, are coming. Um, That happens right before the Battle of Armageddon, which is really not much of a battle at all. Christ shows up and wins. Um, And then the second coming, the establishment of the kingdom, at the most were a few months from the end, and yet 11 more chapters, as I said. Um, Okay, at the end of chapter 11, I just want to remind you, we, we heard who wins, and it's Christ, it's God. But with him, it's your victory as well. Just as with Chris running for governor and winning, and we all worked on the campaign, we all win, right? Our guy won. Um, so we're going to start chapter 12, but a, a little bit of an introduction. Before the seventh trumpet really happens and you see those bowls start, there's chapter 12, panorama of history from the spiritual viewpoint. Chapter 13, Antichrist. It's all about him. Chapter 14 as well. Um, so we're going to see a panorama of spiritual history behind the history. Did you ever watch The Wizard of Oz? And they go see the wizard, and he's just the flames and this big face with the clouds. And remember all that smoke and everything? And then they find out that there's a guy behind the curtain, remember, who's making stuff happen. We're going to pull back that curtain in chapter 12 and look at human history from a spiritual standpoint. Um, There's some weird characters. Two of them are easy. Two of them require a little bit of thought. They're the woman the dragon, the male child, 
and Michael, the archangel. Obviously, Michael, the archangel, it's one of the easy ones, isn't it? Um, the dragon is easy because God tells us in this chapter who it is. It's Satan. And he uses so many names for him, so there's no mistake. Anyway, let's dive in with chapter, verse 1 of chapter 12. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, you guys on Zoom, you doing okay? Great. People in Vanuatu, great. All right, let's read chapter 12. A great sign, by the way, there's now seven signs that happen. A mega sign is how it reads in Greek. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant in travail, if you have King James, and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. So then that's sign number one. Then we're going to have the dragon. Okay, the question is, who's the woman? All kinds of theories, but there is one theory that is by far the majority theory. Let me tell you the other theories first. Roman Catholics say the woman is the Virgin Mary. Okay? Have you ever heard of Christian science? We'll come back to Mary in a second. Christian science. It's a cult, basically. Walter Martin used to say Christian science is just like grape nuts. You ever heard of the series, the cereal grape nuts? You open the box, there's no grapes, there's no nuts. Christian science, it's not Christian, there's no science whatsoever. Christian science was formed by Mary Baker Eddy, who said, talk about an ego, this woman is me. That's what she said. Eh, wrong. I'll show you why. So there's a great sign in heaven, and he sees this vision. We're going to use scripture to prove categorically that this is not the Virgin Mary. This is not Mary Baker Eddy. It is Israel. I'll show you. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. Can you see the picture? There are Catholic paintings, statues, photographs of Mary, the Virgin Mary, with clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and she's got a crown of 12 stars of heaven. The official position of the Catholic Church is Mary is, listen, the queen of heaven. The co-redemptrix with Christ. Read co-redeemer with Christ. Wrong. Okay. She, so whoever this woman is, she's clothed strangely. The sun, the moon under her feet, crown of 12 stars on her head. We'll get to verse 2 in a second, but let's take verse 1. In the book of Revelation, women symbolize religious systems. Do you remember in chapter 2, there was Jezebel, which was a symbol of false religion. Okay, let's fast forward to chapter 17. There's the great harlot, which is another woman. Sorry, ladies, but it is. It's a symbol of false religion. Again, it's actually a symbol of religion that marries politics, like the official religion of the Antichrist's kingdom. But there's one more woman in the Bible, and that's chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. And guess who it is? The bride of Christ, you, me. Pretty amazing. So the question is, who is this 
woman. Keep your finger here in, Gen in Revelation. Let's go all the way the other direction to Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37. And I'll show you why the majority position is that this is not Mary, not Mary Baker Eddy. It is Israel. Okay. Revelation chapter 37. And we want verses <laughs> uh, 9 to 11. Joseph, the background here is um, Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob. Do you remember? He has a dream. And he tells his brothers, the other 11 tribes, basically. And he tells his dad and mom the dream at the same time. Okay? And... Let's pick it up, chapter 37, and look at verse 5. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He says, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Your sheaves gathered around mine and, mine and bowed down to it. Wow. Okay, if that seems a little conceited, you're wrong, because it's prophetic. It's exactly what happened. They needed grain. They had sold him away. He's a picture of Jesus in over a hundred ways in the book of Genesis. We did Genesis, took like a year or more, more I think. And Joseph is a, more than a hundred ways pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. Betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit. Uh, we could go on and on. Anyway, when they need bread and grain, they come to him and they do bow down to him. Do you remember? He's not lying. He's not conceited. He's just saying, God gave me this dream. Sorry, but here's what I dreamed. Of course, they hate it. Do you intend to reign over us? Verse 8. Okay, now skip down. Um, let's go right to the meat and potatoes, shall we? Um, verse 9. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream. And they're rolling their eyes, right? This time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Oh, you have an ego problem, dude. No, it's God giving him the dream. It happened. What's going on here? The sun is his father, Jacob. The moon is his mother. And the 11 stars, you say, wait, it was 12 in Revelation. The 11 stars are his 11 brothers. Remember 12 tribes, 12 brothers? He's the 12th, okay? Um, and they were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. They understand. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I see the sun and the moon and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Answer, yeah, because God said it. It's going to happen, right? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. It's almost like his dad said, Hmm, I need to think about and pray about this. Okay, back to Revelation 12. The woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, the 12 stars on her head. That, what I just read you in, in Genesis is the only place you get all this together. And that is very Jewish. It's the 12 tribes. So the woman, first clue is, it sounds like might be Israel. With me so far? Okay, the rest of the clues come in chapter 2. Uh, the moon is Rachel's, uh, jo Joseph's mother, uh, which is Rachel. 
the son is Jacob, the dad, the other brothers, um, the 12 tribes. Uh, we already talked about that. By the way, the moon is huge in Jewish worship. Worship, Full moons, a lot of things are concern the moon. When Passover occurs, all of that. Uh, we already talked about that. In Isaiah, we won't go there, but Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 6, Israel is pictured as a woman in travail, in labor, giving birth. Same thing in Jeremiah 3 and Ezekiel 16, Hosea 2. Okay, more clues that it's not Mary, it's Israel. Watch, verse 2. She was pregnant in travail, and she cried out in pain as she's about to give birth. You got the picture? What do you mean Israel is about to give birth? Where does the Messiah come from? Well, it comes from Mary. Yes, but where's Mary from? Jewish, right? The Messiah comes from Israel. Israel as a country has waited a long time for the Messiah to come. As it turns out, most Jews, they're going to totally miss it. They're going to not want him to rule over them, as we said earlier. So the... Israel is in pain at the time that the child, the male child, is coming into being. What's the status of Israel in the year 4 BC? I won't sell that too hard, but that's the most common year people think Jesus was born. You, you say, why wasn't it year zero or year one? Because when they chose the calendar and made AD and BC, they guessed and got it wrong. That's the easy answer. Some say as early as 7 BC is when Jesus was born. 4 BC is the majority opinion when Jesus was born. What was going on in Israel then? They were in pain. They were under the control of the Romans who oppressed the heck out of them, taxed the heck out of them. They hated the Romans. The country is in pain. Um, they've taken, Romans have taken over their country. Um, let's keep reading. So, so far it appears to be Israel. I'll show you as we go through this chapter, it's definitely Israel. So, great sign, it's a woman. It's Israel. Notice we've gone back before, uh, when John's writing 95 AD, we've gone back about 100 years, right, to when Jesus is born. Pregnant, cried out in pain. Isn't it interesting when Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about the end times, the Olivet Discourse, what does he say? What does he equate everything with? He says earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famine. And, and he calls them what? Birth pains. Birth pangs if you have King James. We always say the thing about birth pains, ladies, can I get an amen, is they start out kind of like this. And then they get more intense and then more intense. They also get closer and closer and closer together in time, don't they? I wouldn't know. I'm not a woman um, anyway, but I did witness two births. Anyway, she's crying out of pain. She's about to give birth to the Messiah. Verse three, then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his heads. You say, okay, what is this? Aren't dragons mythological creatures? Well, we could spend all night on that one. Suffice it to say, this is symbolic language, okay? It's a giant serpent. Don't think lizard, think sea monster. Think giant, vicious dinosaur kind of thing. Uh, but breathing fire, it's a way of showing you the character of whoever he is 
talking about. Um, let's see. Mm -hmm -hmm. Um, okay, look at verse 9. I'm just going to skip ahead. The great dragon, oh, okay, tell us more, John, was hurled down. Well, who is it, John? That ancient serpent, remember chapter 3 of Genesis? So far, it's the devil. Called the devil. Oh, it is the devil. Or Satan. How many ways does he have to say it until we get it? The dragon is the devil. That's the other easy one, right? Who leads the whole world astray. He's hurled to earth. Okay, we'll get there. Probably takes six months, but we'll get to that verse. Okay. Um, so the woman, Israel's about to give birth to the baby. Yes, Mary gave birth to the baby. She was a virgin. We know all that. But Israel is the picture. But now we're introduced to this very scary creature. Um, an enormous red dragon. A dragon would be a physical entity. I just want to say that. Why are you mentioning that? Because Satan is not a physical entity. He's a spirit being. He's a fallen angel, right? Probably was an archangel like Michael and Gabriel and others. An enormous red dragon. So first of all, it's a dragon. I think it's huge in John's vision. I think he has to go like this at how big it is, right? It's scary looking. Um, it's red, meaning blood, bloodthirsty, maybe. That's what a lot of commentaries said. Seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head. We know from the rest of the Bible that the numbers have some symbolism. Um, so we'll get to that. But fierce power, murderous, full of evil. By the way, he's called the dragon 13 times, interesting number, in the book of Revelation. Before that, he's the serpent back in chapter 3 of Genesis and elsewhere. In the Hebrew language, it's a, the root of the word for dragon is this, a dracon, by the way, D-R-A-K-O-N, believe it or not, um, is the same root word from which we get Leviathan, which would be a sea monster kind of a thing. Massive, ferocious, weird animal. Made even weirder because of the heads and the, all that stuff, right? So seven diadems or crowns indicates royal authority. Satan dominated seven past world kingdoms biblically, um, which is Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. You say that's only six. The seventh kingdom is the Antichrist's kingdom, which is sort of a conglomeration of them all under the Roman heading. I'll show you that later. Uh, horns always indicate strength, Daniel 7.24. Um, and in Daniel 7.24, he says the ten horns you saw are ten kings. You're going to see that in the Antichrist's uh, description as well. Ten nations or areas of the world, their leaders will come together under Antichrist. He's going to subdue three of them and end up with just seven, but we'll get to that later. We already talked about that. Um, so this is the devil. Uh, let's see. So go back to the text. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. Seven heads, 10 horns, seven crowns on its heads. Its tail, whose tail? The dragons swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. What's going on here? You mean actual stars? No, in the Bible, often stars, especially Old Testament, are um, angels, angelic beings. So there was a total number of all the angels, okay, once upon a time, and I don't mean that in a fable sense, but a long time ago, angels lived with God, and they were all good. God made no demons. 
He made no Satan. He made all good angels, but they had free will. A third of the angels rebelled when Satan rebelled. When we come back from the two-minute break, and there are cookies somewhere. Where are they, Jeannie? Oh, right back there. Um, we will discuss the fall of Satan. We're going to go all the way back before creation when we come back. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Do say hello to someone you don't know. And those of you on Zoom, I'm going to just pause my uh, screen, and I'll be right back. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. There we go. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. We're right in the middle of these weird creatures in chapter 12. The dragon, um, let's see, is cast out of heaven here when he rebels, and a third of the angels stupidly go with him, and they turn from being angels into being fallen angels, or same thing, demons. With me so far? Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, with a cookie in your mouth, it's like, amen. Okay, thank you. All right, the cookie Bible study. Do you come for the Bible study or for the cookies? Be honest. All right, both. All right, that's fair. Um, let's see. So I want you to keep your finger in Revelation. We're going to do another detour. Here we go. Back to Isaiah 14. We're going to look at when Satan became Satan because he wasn't always a bad dude. Satan becomes Satan in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 38. We're also going to look at that really uh, quickly. Um, let's see, where do we want to begin? Isaiah 14, pick it up in verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. That's what we just saw. He falls from heaven and takes a third of the of the angels with him who are fallen angels. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I'm going to accent one word, at, well, actually two words, but you, you'll know what I'm doing when I do it. Okay. I want you to see his big ego here, the pride. You said in your heart, this is what Lucifer, who was a musician, by the way, in heaven, watch out for those musicians. Okay. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred market, mountain. Sorry, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself, listen to this, blasphemy, like the most high God. But you're brought down to the grave. Now turn over to Ezekiel. So further into the... Old Testament toward the New Testament, but not as far. 28, Ezekiel 28. Easy to remember because 14 doubled is 28. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. How did Satan become Satan? He decided to rebel against God. Um, verse 13. Well, you could even Pick it up in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says to you. You were the model of perfection. This can't be a king, a human being. Nobody's a model of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. I think Satan was the most beautiful angel. Well, how do you know it's not a king? Look at verse 13. You were in Eden. Now, there's only three characters in Eden, Adam, Eve, Satan. It's got to be one of them, right? The garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Look how beautiful. 
ruby, topaz, emerald. I'm not going to read all those, but you get the picture. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. He's a created being. He's an angel. They were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. That's a very special rank of angel. For so I ordained you. That's God talking. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until, middle of verse 15, wickedness was found in you. Okay. I drove you uh, in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you. Um, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you. Okay, go back to Revelation. That's all we need to look at there. We don't want to spend too, give Satan too much airtime, right? Um, that's how Satan became Satan. He rebelled against God. He is the father of lies. He's the deceiver. He's the accuser. That's what his name means. And he may be crazy enough to think he can win at this. You and I know. You go against God, you're going to lose every single time. He may be so deceived as a deceiver, he's deceived himself and thinks he can win. So um, since then, by the way, that has to be sometime before the Garden of Eden, right? Because he's already a serpent in the Garden of Eden. He's already down to earth tempting the first man and the first woman, remember? So sometime before that, that all occurred. Back to chapter 12. Um, we've already seen that. Okay. Uh, yeah, we talked about that too. So what's he up to here in chapter 12? Um, verse 14. Its tail swept away a third of the stars. Those are the other angels that rebelled with him. Flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. This is a tense scene. If you know anything about when a woman's giving birth... Her mind's on one thing, giving birth. She can't defend herself very well. She's in pain. She's contracting and all that, right? It's an exhausting thing, amen? My wife was in labor 38 hours with our daughter, 38 hours. If a man was the one that gave birth, population of the earth would be a third of what it is now. Anyway, in any case... <clears throat> The dragon standing in front of the woman, and this is a horrible scene. There's like a horrible monster ready to kill the child because Satan knows through this child some people are going to get saved. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan says, it's my world now. Everybody gets sick. Everybody dies. I don't want this character. So Satan's in standing, the dragon standing in front of the woman who's about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he, male child, was born. Okay. Stay where you are, but I, I mean, in terms of where we are in the Bible, but I want to tell you there's a lot of ways this happened and has been happening. What do you mean? Satan has tried to thwart the plan of God forever. It, as soon as Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they have Seth and Cain. Do you remember that? Uh, sorry, they have Abel and Cain. Seth is the one afterwards. Abel is a righteous man. Through Abel's line is going to come the Messiah. Satan puts it into Cain's mind, kill your brother. And he does. 
there, got rid of the Messiah. No, God's always got another way to do things. The godly line becomes Seth, the younger brother of Cain. Remember all that? This, that is the dragon trying to stop this. You can see it in Pharaoh with the Egypt, with the Jews in Egypt. Do you remember? Trying to kill the Jews. You can see it when Moses was born. They're going to kill all the babies. Do you remember that? When Jesus is born, what does Herod say? No king here born. Kill all the babies under two, up to two years old. Remember that? That's all the dragon going, no, 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 Jesus, no. Jesus becomes an adult. What happens? They, Satan tempts him. Do you remember? Come up to this high uh, top of the temple. Jump off. God will protect you. Remember? Trying to get rid of him. There's a time when Jesus is preaching in his hometown, and they're so upset with him. Do you remember? They take him to a cliff to throw him off. Satan going, we got him now. And it just says, it's like a miracle. He just kind of passes through the crowd and goes, I'm out of here. You'd think they would grab him. They can, 10 guys can overpower him, or can they, right? It wasn't his time. This has happened many ways. The big way, of course, is, um, well, we can go back to Genesis 6. Do you remember? The sons of God, which is angels, Old Testament, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they were marrying them and intermarrying demonic spirits, either in men or on their own, marrying women, making a sort of a hybrid, weird, freaky race, okay? Messing with the DNA of planet Earth, giants and all that, so that they can take it over, pollute the, the line so there can't be a Messiah anymore. That's why Jane, Genesis 6, when you read that weird story, right after that, God says, that's it, my translation. Uh, I will not strive with man forever. His days will be 120 years. And what does he do? I got to flood the whole earth, right? Oh, and wipe out all of humanity? No, I got Noah and his wife and their three kids and their wives, eight people. I'm going to start over. He's got to, to save that genetic line that he wants the Messiah to come through. All the way along, Saul tries to kill David. That's the messianic line. It goes all through the Old Testament. What he's showing you here is the spiritual reality behind, behind stuff that happened on planet Earth again and again and again and again. Listen, you saw it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, didn't you? Satan has always hated God. With that, he's hated the Jews, God's people. God's bride, the church, God's bride. He hated Jesus. He hated the disciples. He always spiritually, what's been going on on planet Earth, physically, there's a spiritual counterpart in heaven. We're about to see a war go on. Um, let's see, I'm read, trying to read notes and the text and figure out what I was saying in these notes, which are cryptic. Okay, so does Satan win, you ask? I'm glad you asked. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. Now, what can a woman do against a dragon? Nothing. The dragon's going to win. Not if God's involved. So that it might devour her, uh, devour her child the moment he was born. Verse 5. He doesn't win. How do you know? She gave birth to a son. And the dragon ate. No. Doesn't say that, does it? He prevented that because it was his will. Who's the son? A male child. Okay, it could be anybody. There's a lot of male children born to Jewish parents who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, an iron rod. Who's that? Christ. 
We're talking about the birth of Christ. We're going back. We've gone back to before creation when Satan fell. Now Satan's on earth. Um, but I'm going to show you in a second that he had access to heaven and still does, surprisingly. So she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That goes back to Psalm 2. We won't go there now, but that's what he's quoting. It's the Messiah. Against the wishes of the devil, the kid does get born. You could even say there's no room at the inn. It's another way for Satan. No vacancy. Go ahead, have the baby outside. Maybe it'll die that way. Remember? Then there's Herod with, I'm going to kill all the babies. God warns them in a dream. They split and go away for a few years, remember? <clears throat> and her child, I'm still in verse 5. Wait, we just had the birth, right? Christmas? Yes. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. What? What's that? That's the bookends of the human life of Jesus. Born in Bethlehem, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He's already been the Messiah, done miracles, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. He skips all that, just the bookends, and ascends to heaven. Work done. Meaning what? Christ was able to complete his work, even though Satan did everything he could to stop him. Unbelievable. I love it. Um, so he is snatched up to God into his throne. That's the ascension to heaven. But not just to heaven, to his throne. He's crowned. He sits on the throne with God the Father, as much as Satan hates that. Um, okay, do we want to do this now? Now I'm looking at ends. Yeah, the rod of iron was a defense uh, tool for shepherds. Yeah, we already talked about that. Okay, a weird thing. If you know anything about Judaism, you know anything about Jews, if we're doing genealogy and a child being born and there's a woman in travail who's about to give birth, what's missing in the story? What about the dad? Nothing. You know why? Because it's a virgin birth, right? It's, it speaks to the virgin birth. It's just the mom. They would never do that in Jewish literature. It's always the dad. They usually don't even mention the mom. So Josiah fathered so-and-so, begat so-and-so. They don't even mention the mom. It's a virgin birth thing. It's beautiful. Um, let's see, we already talked about that. And now he's up in his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God that she might be taken care of for 1260 days, three and a half years, a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years, 30 uh, whatever it is, 42 months. They say it so many different ways. It's the second half of the tribulation. Now we've fast forwarded into the future, even for us. The tribulation hasn't occurred yet. Um, the woman fled into the wilderness during the tribulation. That's why it can't be Mary. She's not still alive now, right? If the tribulation happens in 30 years or tomorrow, doesn't matter. Mary died a long time ago. It's Israel, the woman. Okay, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days, three and a half years. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24 when he's talking about the end times? He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, 
Remember, by your enemies, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, that's the Antichrist in the temple of God saying, I'm him, I'm God, worship me. Take a mark on your hand or forehead, that's chapter 13. He says, when you see that, run head for the hills. He even says it in such stark terms, he even says, don't even go back to your house to pack a bag, split immediately. Do you remember chapter 24 of Matthew? I don't want to go there now because we've taken too many detours and some of you are already asleep. Okay, we're still moving along. Um, so this woman, Israel, is going to flee and be supernaturally protected by God from the Antichrist for three and a half years, last three and a half of the tribulation. You say, well, that's nice. It is. But I'm going to show you in a second that not all the Jews heed the warning of Jesus and split. As a matter of fact, Zechariah says two-thirds of them die. One-third heeds the warning and uh, leaves town. Um, he's going to nourish them. He's going to protect them. Maybe angels provide food. It sounds like manna from heaven, maybe. Who knows? Um, Jesus, that's, that's Matthew 24, 15, by the way. Jesus said to flee um, into the wilderness. Okay, I have a big, long document here. I'm not going to go into it, but there's a majority opinion. I'm not sure I buy it, but it does make sense that they're going to go to Petra. Has anybody ever heard of that? Interesting. Any, anybody have a guess? What does Petra mean? Rock. The Jews are going to seek refuge in the rock. How many have seen the movie um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? It's the third Indiana Jones, Jones movie. Do you ever see that movie? There's a place where they go through a rocky, very narrow canyon. It's a real place in Jordan. By the way, the Jews, if you look on a map, maybe they would go north, no, east, no, south, no. There's not that many places the Jews can go. They're surrounded by enemies. But Petra in Jordan is a, a narrow canyon to get there. It's the place in Indiana Jones where they, he rides a horse there, if you remember, and the whole cliffside has been carved like a city, and they go in there. Do you remember that? Okay, let's show the movie now. No, just kidding. Uh, so, um, so a lot of people think Petra, which is south of the Dead Sea. Um, there are stories, I don't know if they're true, that having read this, Christian businessmen with a bunch of money have hidden Bibles, Christian tracts, written in Hebrew for the Jews, Greek, English, whatever, in that area. There's stories that they've hidden food there that the Jews are going to go there. It's a narrow, rocky canyon. To get there, it would be easy to block it off and hard to get there um, to, to actually take them away from there. Who knows? But is that where they're going? I don't know. But could be. I love the story anyway. God's going to protect his people for three and a half years. Um, let's see. So we're talking about the midpoint of the tribulation. Okay, go to verse 7 with me now. I'm just looking at my notes. Did I cover all of that? Yes. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. You say, wait, I thought, I thought heaven was a peaceful, perfect place where God and the angels are, and there's harps and lemonade and clouds and stuff. Listen, did you ever read the book of Job? 
God on his throne gets a visitor. Do you remember? It's Satan. What's he doing in heaven? Satan has access to the spirit world, which is heaven. And he is, listen, the accuser of the brethren. Satan goes up to God and says, you know, Randy, Sam, Joe, are you kidding? Did you see what he did yesterday? Talk about selfish. Talk about, did you hear the word he used? Did you hear how he spoke to, and God says, yeah, I know. He's not perfect, but he's my son. Jesus paid for all of that. Get lost. He's the accuser of the brethren. In Job, God says to, uh, sorry, Satan says to God, Job, <laughs> yeah. You know why he loves you, God? Because he's rich, he's got a beautiful family, got a bunch of cattle and camels. You let me kick his butt and you watch how he curses you. And God says, amazingly, okay, go ahead, but don't kill him. Can't do that. And Satan in the book of Job hurts Job in way. He loses his family. He loses his fortune. He's sick as a dog. His friends are complete idiots going, you know, maybe you should just curse God and die, right? I think his wife says that. And yet Job says famously, right? I love God. Though he slay me, even if he kills me, I'll still worship him, praise him. Beautiful faith. So, um, Satan has access to the throne room of God until this war is over. When will that be? During the tribulation. Why does all hell break loose on earth during the tribulation? Because what we're about to read is going to happen is there's going to be war. Michael, the archangel, and the rest of the good angels are going to fight against the demons and Satan. You got the situation? Ooh, that's a pretty serious battle. Let's remember, what percentage of angels rebelled? One third. Okay, those of you that are math majors, how many, what percentage of angels does that leave that are good angels? Two thirds. 66 and two thirds against 33 and a third. Good angels outnumber the bad angels two to one. Got the picture? The good angels are going to win and kick Satan out. During the tribulation, he will no longer be able to accuse you and I. He'll be on the earth. But we're about to read. He knows his time is short, and he's going to pull out all the stops to kick butt on the earth and take as many people down as he can. You say, you're getting me depressed now. No, no, it's good news. Stay with me. Then war broke out in heaven. Now, what kind of war do angels fight? Do they have lightsabers? I don't know, but there's war. Michael and his angels meaning angels, they're not his, they're assigned to him by God, but the angels on his army, team, whatever, fought against the dragon. Who was that again? Devil. And the dragon and his angels, who's that? Demons, fought back. You with me so far? War in heaven. When I get to heaven, I'm checking this DVD out of the library. I want to see this war, don't you? It must be spectacular. I don't know how they fight, but it's what the word of God says. But he, that's the devil and the demons, verse 8, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in where? Heaven. They had a place in heaven. Yes, little condo, 
small, you know, was not very nice, no air conditioning. They lost their place in heaven. They're kicked, they're evicted out of heaven. Listen, that is such good news for heaven. That is such bad news for planet earth. Watch. The great dragon, who's that again? Satan, verse 9, was hurled down. Well, clarify it, John. I'm a little slow. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels, demons, with him. Got the picture? He's out. When is this? Yet future. During the tribulation. That's why the tribulation is so horrible. Satan is cast down to earth. He knows he's got very little time. He's going to try to really do some damage. Um, we already talked about that and that. This is the escalation of the war against believers, against Jews, against Jesus, big time for three and a half years. It's what makes it the worst time in human history, as Jesus calls it. Um, we already talked about that. Uh, yeah, and that. By the way, Hitler killed six million Jews during World War II. Coincidence? That's Satan empowering a guy like Hitler. There are people that thought that Hitler was the Antichrist and the swastika was the mark of the beast at that time. Was it? No, he's dead, right? He didn't take over the whole world. Um, he killed 6 million Jews. The Jews have been persecuted by so many nations. Muslims hate the Jews. Um, Anti-Semitism off the chart during this time. Hatred of Jews. Um, okay, we already talked about that. Reading my notes. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm trying to catch up here. Um, uh, do we need to go there? No. Yeah, we already talked about that. Okay. So, uh, Michael and his angels. Did you see that? Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses, if you corner them and ask the question, they'll tell you that Michael is actually... Jesus. Wrong. He's an angel. Okay. But that's what they believe. Um, I uh, just wanted to throw that in. Uh, we don't need to go there now. Yeah. We talked about the accuser of the brethren. Um, he can't make any of the charges stick against you or me because your sins have all been forgiven. When God pulls up on the heavenly computer, Diana's rap sheet, there's nothing there. Clean. Paid for by the blood of the Lamb. That's what it says. Um, okay. There are in the Bible, believe it or not, four falls of Satan. Number one, what we read in Ezekiel and Isaiah. From glorified angel to evil or profane kind of thing. From number two, from having access to heaven, which we're reading now, tribulation, future, to not having access to heaven, to restriction on earth. That's number two. You say there's two more? Yes. Jesus comes back, battle of Armageddon, he ends it. He grabs, Jesus does, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the dragon, Satan, and throws him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and Jesus reigns for a thousand years. You remember that? That's number three fall. But he's let out at the end. He leads another rebellion. Jesus stops that and throws him eternally into the lake of fire, hell, where Satan is not in control running things in hell like a mob boss. He's suffering more than anybody. 
Okay. Wanted to just throw that out there to you as well. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Earth suffers, although heaven rejoices. Verse 10, let's get the reaction in heaven. We've evicted, the news has come down, we evicted that bad tenant, Satan. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the accuser of all believers, who accuses them before God, listen, day and night has been hurled downward. Day and night, he's up there going, Joe Sherino, Bible study, give me a break. The guy's such a sinner. And God says, my son paid for him. He's my kid. Get lost. Insert your name there, right? So how did these people, the brothers and sisters that were accused, triumph? Verse 11. They triumphed over him. Stop right there. Who's him? The devil. That's you. Believers, all believers, this verse is going to say, triumphed over the devil. How? The devil is way more powerful than you or me. He's way more powerful than 500,000 believers against him. We would all lose. How could we possibly triumph? Verse 11, they triumphed over him by their good deeds. Wrong by their spiritual nature, by their sweetness. Their good deeds outweighed their bad deeds. Wrong. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. That's how. The death of Jesus Christ is the only way. And by the word of their testimony. There's three components here. Okay? Number one, the blood of the lamb. It's the only way to defeat sin, defeat Satan, defeat addiction, all that stuff. The blood of the lamb. Again, it's not just the blood, the red stuff. It's his death. He paid our price. That's the first thing, the blood of the lamb. By the way, if somebody did that for you, wouldn't you be uh, indebted to them for your whole life? And aren't you? Right? Don't you want to please the one that did this for you? Yes. You're making us feel guilty. Move on, Joe. Okay. And by the word of their testimony, number two, what's that? These people didn't shut up. They had a word of testimony. They told their story. They spread the gospel. They told other people about Jesus. And some people told them to get lost and shut up. But some people said, tell me more. Each of us came to Christ somehow. Somebody, our parents, a friend, an, a fellow alcoholic or drug addict or whatever, told you and I about Jesus. We're supposed to be doing the same thing. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, but also the word of their testimony, the three keys to Christian victory over Satan. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Boldly proclaim the truth. Your job is not to make converts. Your job is to spread the seeds and let him make them from that. You can spread a, spread a thousand seeds and talk to all these people about Jesus, and none of them come to faith. And God's still going, way to go. That's what I want you to do. Or a thousand people and to become Christians, and you think, gosh, that's not even 1%. God doesn't care. Spread the seeds. Spread the word. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, let's see. I'm reading my notes here. Yeah, so we're forgiven, cleansed, the slate's clean, no rap sheet in heaven, and 
Uh, we talked about that. His victory is our victory. We talked about that. The ultimate show of God's love was that cross, Romans 5.8. God shows his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that means every accusation Satan levels against you is not true. It's a lie. So the paradox of the cross is that it was in human history the worst thing that ever happened. The creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, came to earth as a man, and we killed him brutally. That's incredible. It's the worst thing that ever happened. Worse than 9-11, worse than Hitler killing 6 million Jews. We killed God himself in human flesh. And the paradox is, it's the best thing that ever happened. Without it, we would have no hope. I'm just going to try to live a good life. Good luck on that. We would have no hope. It's the worst thing. It's the best thing. The word of their testimony, they knew, they remembered the word that they had heard, um, and they preached the gospel. They don't have to be pastors. They just tell, God changed my life. That's enough. You know what it is? It's word of mouth, right? Advertising. First uh, Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the, to give the reason for the hope that lies within you. But this do with gentleness and with respect. We proclaim the gospel with our mouths and with our lives, with our lips and our lives, you could say. Are we out of time? Almost. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, it's getting late now. Okay, I need another cookie. Okay, that's after. You can have one. Um, but there's a third thing. The blood of the lamb, and they had testimony. We like those. Could we just quit there? No, there's one more. Um, and that is, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Verse 11, do you see that? What does that mean? It means that some of them died for their faith. Confronted by the Antichrist, you either bow down to him or we're going to kill you. They said, well, then kill me because I'm not bowing down to that idol. I believe in the Lord Jesus, but we're going to cut your head off. Go ahead. It just ushers me into heaven. To live is Christ, to die is gain, said Jesus. They didn't love their lives. The word for love there is agape. That I, it's the most important thing. My life, I got to preserve my life. Not if it means denying Jesus, I'd rather die. Go ahead, kill me. Wow. Because the temptation is to go, okay, where do I bow? Antichrist is Lord. Okay, happy now? Okay, leave me. The mark? Yeah, sure. Once you take the mark, you're sealed for his team, right? Okay, let's quit there. I know it's kind of in the middle of the chapter. Um, and now you're worried about getting martyred. By the way, that's the highest honor you can have if you're a believer. Let's pray and get out of here, shall we? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time we could spend in your word. What a powerful chapter, a panorama of spiritual history from your viewpoint about what's really going on. Everything on earth has a counterpoint in heaven that's going on, and there's war in heaven at that time. We praise you, God, for the lamb who died for our sins. May we be bold in the way we uh, tell others about the gospel, Father. The time might be really short, Father. You've decreed the end, and we celebrate it just like a campaign, but we can't wait to see your son here 
and see it in absolute reality. In the meantime, help us to see our lives as expendable for your kingdom if necessary. And I pray it won't be, but if it is, we are willing to give it up. And it's only right because you, your son gave it all up for us. Bless these truths. May they change the way we think and the way we live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone. Introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Hope to see you next week. God bless.